I just All saw right. Jesse the other night. Nice. How's he doing? Um, he's good, uh, I think. I was uh, tripping balls when I saw him <laughs> on mushrooms. Shrooming, I guess that's called, not tripping. I love, but, uh, I already love the honesty. Yeah. The pod. It was, uh, I saw his, his head was shaped differently than I've ever seen before, <laughs> but that's not his fault. <laughs> Hey, welcome to the Self Poor Podcast, presented by the All Sweet Collection. I am your host, Derek All Sweet. Thank you for uh, jumping on board. We just really launched uh, last week. Uh, now we're headed into the winter of 2022. We have a few podcasts on the horizon, ready to go. Two new shows will be launched next month: the Living Directors and Talking Black Art with Hemp C. I'm proud of both of them, so stay tuned on that. Today on the Self Poor Podcast, a wonderful experience so far. Our guest today is the lead singer of the Mystic Roots. He DJs for Power 102 and Z Rock, which are radio stations out of Northern California. He's an integral part of the Chico music scene. He has been for, for dang near 25 years. Without further ado, Coot Dog. That's nice. It is. Yeah. Where do you rank? Is it Pils, you said? It's a Pilsner. Yeah. We're going to jump. This is what I drink in Europe. So this is like a German vibey. Oh, a little, little Europe flex there. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't usually drink beers like this. Yeah, me neither. Here domestically. But in Europe, Belgium, it's all that. Right, that's, right. That's the flavor. Czech, German, stuff like that. Yep. Um, that's the flavor. And usually not that cold. Yeah, it's interesting that this is kind of, this I think was clearly the popular beer of like our parents' generation, you yeah. know? And it still is obviously really popular, but now, you know, IPAs kind of had this crazy surge over the last 20 years that yeah. arguably started with Sierra Nevada 40 years ago. You yeah, know? of course. Um, what does IPA stand for again? India Pale Ale. Pale Ale, right. So I think that implies that the British stole it, right? From <laughs> India? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> that, <laughs> Maybe that tracks. <laughs> I agree. Um it's good. So I don't drink much Pilsner, but this is really good. I don't either. And like I said, it's usually warmer, actually. I think this beer mm. is recommended to be served closer to room temp. When, I, when we're in uh, Great Britain, and, and we could talk all about actually some of that, the, the Europe touring. Please but um, it was like literally lukewarm beer coming yeah. out of the taps, and it was so weird. I mean, they don't really do ice in Europe either, so I, I think feel it's like a, like a con- conserving energy thing almost. Maybe. It's <laughs> also super cold, so maybe it's kind of like, right, like right. why would, why would you want a cold drink? Like, um. Cool. So let's get into your past. We'll hit all the uh, touring stuff in the middle section. Word. Um, I like to start with parents. Okay. Cool. Um, first of all, I know your first name's Micah. I never. No, it's not. Fucking hell! I'm deleting that. That's okay. <laughs> I'm just wondering. That's to show that like I've never called you anything other than Coot Dog. No, most people don't. Yeah. No. It starts with an M. Nope. Jesus Christ. Nope. Mystery for you then. Am I editing this part out? It's all good. <laughs> My middle name is Anthony. Okay. So Will you please give you us your, your, your birth name? Um, no, actually. Oh! Uh, if I'm going to be getting into fun, good to content for you, then I'd rather not associate the government name. So, okay. Because so, we'll talk like about it. everything if you want. A good we'll just, angle. We'll just so leave on, that out. So on the header, it's just gonna, we're just going Coot Dog. Coot Dog, yeah. Or okay. Coot, Coot Wyman's fine still too. Wyman, okay. Yep. I can't believe I got your first name wrong. It's okay. I'm glad you did because it's going to allow me to talk <laughs> a lot more freely here without nice. any fear of uh, my political campaign later in life okay. being compromised <laughs> by the, the stuff we talk about today. Um, so your parents, do you, 
Are you? Do you know where they were born? First of all, I do. Yeah. So, um, so on my mom's side, my mom's family comes from the Philippines. My grandparents were both born in Manila, and they're Spanish Filipinos. So they were the Spaniards that had come over for the Spanish-American War, um, raised in the Philippines. So they're all white, light-colored eyes and hair and skin, but like hardcore Filipino-talking people. So it's kind of trippy, cool. like especially when people find out you're Filipino. You'll look at them like, well. Not by blood, but by culture. So um, this war is like happened in the early 1900s. I don't know. I'm not a world huge history buff on that. But yeah, something like that. Spanish-American War might have even been in the late 1800s. I don't know. Mm -hmm. gotcha. um, but my grandparents were both born in the Philippines. Uh, they had a big family, um, nah, relatively six kids, five kids. And they moved out to California before my mom was born. So my mom was born in San Francisco, first generation American. Um, and then my, do you know what brought your grandparents to San Francisco? Was it just kind of just a getting the hell place? out of the war? They moved out of there in the forties when it was just like crazy. And they must've sailed across the Pacific. Yeah. My older aunts were born in the Philippines, but my younger, um, aunts and my mom were born in San Francisco. They got the heck out of there. Some crazy stories. Yeah. There was like a situation where like my grandmother was yelling at a Japanese soldier, like spitting in his face and he like walked her out to dig her own grave and all this stuff. And then the commander came out, what's going on here? And she pleaded with him that this guy was being the dick. And somehow they like, they like slapped him, whipped him or did some, they didn't kill him. Anyway, yeah. they got the fuck out of there after that. So God, the stories from that era, it's like, we, we freak out about what's happening in today's climate. It's just like, it's, yeah, there's it's, no comparison. I mean, no. it's, it's literal like life and death torture yeah you know worrying about if your family's going to survive it's yeah well and that plays in the whole idea of like why people hold on to tr tradition or, or the whole let's make america great again or like going back backwards like never makes sense 100 <laughs> percent. yeah there's some harvard uh professors written a few books on how statistically things are always improving it just it doesn't feel like it doesn't so feel like it, i'm right. definitely of that mindset that totally. things are constantly getting better it's yeah just hard to other than the better. idiocracy theory of like <laughs> the dumbing down of the people who are overbreeding and all that'll that work stuff. itself out too. yeah anyway so that's my that's my folks on my mom's side my dad's side is probably similar leaving europe for this similar reasons of the war but my dad's parents were both born in the ukraine part of the soviet union uh moved out to new york i think uh, when he was a kid when i did the dna test thing the what do you call it 23 and yeah. me or whatever so literally when my results came back it was like you're 50 percent all these things some spanish and yeah. some Filipino and some Pacific Islander and some British and you're 50% Russian Jew. Like my dad is pure bread because your, your publishing is Russian Jew. Your songwriting <laughs> is all the other pretty things. much. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. Cause uh, I guess if you know about Judaism, you're not a Jew unless your mom is a Jew. Right. So interestingly enough, like I'm half Jewish, but I'm not Jewish at right. all. <laughs> Whatever that means. Like, are you a Jew? No, I'm not. Cause my mom's not, but a little bit. I don't understand what that even means. But you can, there are also people convert too. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just weird that they, they actually think like there's a religion. That's also a race. That, that whole thing confuses sure. me. Like, and you know why they say you're only Jewish if your mom's Jewish. I only recently found this out. I'm like 40 something years old, yeah. something. And I just <laughs> found this out. Um, it's because there's no way to prove that your dad's really your dad. So oh, it, good Lord. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So it's just, just like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So it's like, yeah, my dad was Jewish. Okay, so maybe you're Jewish. Um, that's so that's great, my family. Dude. So they're both first-generation Californians, uh, making me a second. Uh, completely out of touch with my cultural background because uh, during the 50s, it was about being American. So yeah. my dad wasn't taught any other language but English. My mom wasn't taught any other language but English. Visiting my family is always like weird because I hear all the Tagalog and all this Spanish, but that didn't make its way to me. 
Yeah. So yeah, you were teased at school if you had an accent or you were right. a different way. So, so my grandparents made sure my parents were American yeah. and kind of lost their culture. And a lot of our um, our cultural hangups came out of that kind of intense uh, nationalism that happened after World War II, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, started at home in the families. There's a lot of repression and you know the lack of diversity etc it's like you yeah know, that's what i think we're kind of feeling the effects of still today but yeah so so my grandparents were all immigrants which is funny to talk yeah. about nowadays but yeah i mean i love that you even know that much about your story i mean i'm like embarrassed by how little i i know of my yeah of my it's still family a story. learning process i'm yeah. learning a little bit more each year my grandfather started kaiser you know the hospital what yeah my dad's dad was a major major power figure and he was like thanked in a Kennedy speech and stuff like What's this. What's his name? Uh, Richard Weinerman. Wow. So you could like look him up. It's a trip. He he was a very well accomplished humanitarian. He worked with Martin Luther King and like started Kaiser actually to be low income uh, medical access. That was the point of Kaiser wow. so that everyone could have health care. Um, super trippy story. I never knew him. And here we are 70 years later. Yeah. I haven't fixed Still it yet. Haven't fixed it. <laughs> but I never knew him. He was bo- he was uh, he was killed in 1970 years before i was born um by a terrorist attack on an airplane him and my grandmother both went down in a plane over palestine or something like that so i never knew any of them oh my god by the time i was born i only had one set of grandparents on my mom's side um is there some literature on him and a little bit i've looked up little things like i've especially now it's easier with google like but growing up it was like scrapbook stuff that my parents would show me like yeah, your grandfather was pretty powerful, like amazing hum- human being, but that's unbelievable. With also his own demons, you know. Yeah, which that's is crazy. unbelievable. Wow. Um, okay, so let's skip ahead a little bit when uh, to when your parents met. Do you know those stories? Do you know I do, how that yeah, happened? I do. This, you know, '60s summer of love, San Francisco, <laughs> nice. Haight Ashbury, Santa Cruz. My dad's a musician. My mom's a hippie. They're both hippies. <laughs> Me too. Um, she, you know, saw him perform. I think at mm-hmm. a show and you know, hooked up with him probably. And then he became involved with her and all this crazy open lifestyle back then. He was already <laughs> married at the time, I think. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, and, um, but in a, you know, crazy open thing that I think was actually more of a marriage of green card. He was married to a Swedish woman who needed a citizenship. Right. I think that's the only reason they were married. Right. Um, my mom met him and they all lived together for a while. Just a wild time. Wow. Um, yeah, that I didn't last. They were only together for two years or two years of my life. If that, I think they broke up when I was 15 months old. So, wow. So, um, well, first of all, I have pretty much the same exact story. My mom was a fan of my dad. He was a musician. Oh, that's cool. That was eighties though, not sixties. Um, so there were different things going on in the eighties as we all know. (laughs) Uh, but, uh, but less acid, more cocaine. Right. (laughs) You said it. (laughs) Um, um, it's funny the things that that bring us into existence, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so that's that's cool that we have that kind of like baseline thing in common that we never knew. Kind of, I think those things kind of make sense in terms of people getting along as as adults sure. too. Um, so your parents split up very early. Yeah, early in my what, life. What are your like? What are your early kind of childhood memories? Do you remember that being a difficult thing? Where you it was it was no, just so normal I was only to fifteen you. months old, so I had yeah. no recollection of that. Right, and my mom remarried very soon after to okay. a man that I also consider my father. Okay, I didn't bring him up earlier because I thought when we were talking about lineage, it's about blood. But it's worth mentioning my my dad, my stepdad, who I also call my dad. Um, coincidentally, is also t- 
parents are from the Ukraine, which is weird. My mom obviously had a type. She's a, like a young Catholic Spanish Filipino who married two Russian Jews. <laughs> wow. But yeah. Um, but yeah, my uh, stepdad's family was from um, the Ukraine as well, from New York as well, from Queens. He's a New Yorker through and through. Mm. And he raised me since I was, you know, two years old. So he's been like, you know, the dad in the home. So I wasn't really at least consciously negatively impacted by the breakup of my parents. I just had a, a right. bonus dad. So it was just like my dad at home, Marty, and then my biological father was more like my friend dad because we'd hang out once a week, do cool shit, like go to the movies or talk about music. And like, you know, he, he didn't discipline me as much. So he didn't become that father figure to me. Like my in-house stepdad, mm-hmm. like disciplined me and you know hmm. taught me more about, Interesting. I guess how to be a man in that st- sense. Right. Whereas my dad was my artistic influence. My biological dad taught me about music and performing and, um, you know, being an entertainer and, and comedy and, and culture. Right. So I had like, you know, two dads. And so it was like a bonus. So it didn't impact me negatively at all. Whereas I've seen other kids go through divorces that really rocked them because they were older and cognizant of it all. Yeah, my stepdad was uh, in California. And during the, my mom and my biological dad's breakup, she was dating and she dated a guy that was roommates with my stepdad. So she was over like at his house for dinner mm-hmm. and met my, the guy she was dating's roommate and they just <laughs> had like killer chemistry. Yeah. And he told his buddy that too. He's like, that girl that you brought over, like how serious are you guys? Cause like yeah. I was catching a vibe, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, no, she's just kind of my friend. Like it's cool, yeah. you guys should hook up. And like pretty much they became a couple and they've been inseparable you know, ever since they're going like 40 plus years marriage, awesome. monogamous committed. Like it's a very different relationship than my dad, my biological dad and mom have. So I've had so much influence on yeah. like relationships and that from all these different influences. I mean, I, I think that that type of variety can only help you as a person and oh, as yeah. a man, you Big know, time. if I only had one or the other, I would be a different person. But right. Um, God, we've all been in that position where the buddy brings home the girl and you're like, <laughs> to be respectful yeah, even though you feel you a certain way yeah, yeah um how cool but you don't know what brought your stepdad to california oh uh interesting no i don't know he was in the okay. military i don't know which oh uh, okay which time placed him where but he was in the air force he um, might have been at travis during then. vietnam war um i don't know if he got stationed back to cali what brought him to cali he's a chef he's working at a tennis club um cooking but i don't hmm. know. should ask him why'd you move to california good cool. question um Great. That's that's some of the more kind of uh, thorough responses I've gotten to the to the origin story. There you go. That's neat. Um, I'm into family. Good. good time. Yeah. Good. I could learn from you. Um, we so early childhood. So you're in the Bay Area when you're really yep. little. West Marin County. And then when did you did you make your way up to Chico from there? Or were there other yep. stops in between? Okay. Nope. I lived in the same house from when I was born. In the house, I was born in my mother's bedroom. Like I said, hippie days, wow, the yeah. home birth. And I was born in that house and lived in that house till I was eighteen and moved to Chico for Chico State. Oh, interesting. Yep. Graduated high school and came off to Chico to become Dr. Dre. Were you? Oh, so you? It was a music degree. Yeah, I wanted to learn how to do studio stuff and. And, and, and Chico State had a music program? Still does. They got one of the nicest uh, recording studios no in shit. the university system. Yep, them I had and, no idea. Them and Sonoma State were the only ones back then offering a degree in recording arts. Because that's all I wanted to study. You know, I wasn't, I didn't want to go to college. I was making beats already, rapping and mm-hmm. living a good life in high school. And my mom's like, you got to go to college. I'm like, what am I going to study? This is what I want to do. We'll study that. 
like study making beats. She's yeah. like, yeah, I'm sure there's a way to study that. And so of course there is, you know, learning how to use a, yeah. a board and all that stuff. It's kind of a newer program back in the late nineties when I came to Chico, but yeah. it's kind of ironic. I was at a dude's house the other day. So I, I meet, you know, younger DJs and producers all the time in Chico. And I met these cats when I did a show at the El Rey for uh, Blunts and Blondes. I met some, some cats. And um, this one dude, Noah, he's an incredible producer, DJ. I'm like, can you invite me to a session just so I can see like how you're making beats? Like, how do people make beats now? I feel like I've been out of the loop. I went over to a spot to like see what's going on now. And it's so different than the stuff I studied because I got in right before Pro Tools. So we didn't study Pro Tools, which is ridiculous to think about now. I'm an engineer not knowing how to use Pro Tools. But the university was teaching a digital performer at the time. So I got out of college with a thorough understanding of an obsolete software. I imagine (laughs) that, that that uh, music production, engineering, et cetera, is way more common now in, um, in school educational programs. Yeah, school yeah. programs. It's probably all the way down to high school now. Yeah, I mean, just obviously because the digitalization makes it so much more accessible. Totally. But, um, I mean, you saw pictures of my kid. He's got right. GarageBand <laughs> right. and a MIDI keyboard, and he's four. Yeah, right. So it's like, <laughs> clearly, it's just easier now, which is great. And, and, we t- and obviously, Marty and I talked about that a ton, you know, how different things were then versus now, and like the pros and cons of that. What to you were the, the, the kind of good parts of the pre-digital age when you were learning music? And then is there anything today where you're like, oh man, if I only had this now? I don't know, the good parts? Pre-digital, it was all harder, so what's the good part? I mean, I guess I would say you'd think like less expensive, but no, it's the other way around. I mean, yeah. like I bought a four track, Tascam, Fostex, Recorder, whatever, bank at the time for me, you know, it was a few hundred dollars. Um, there's tape hiss all over the dang thing. Like I can't, I'm sure there's advantages to the pre-digital era. I just don't know what they are. Do you think that like, um, it really kind of weeded out the, like, you know, the people who had real drive versus people who didn't like you really kind of had to dedicate. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Because now like anybody can get auto tune, jump on and and become a, a producer. So I guess that's a good point. It could weed out. But I mean, then again, like in the weeding out, you're also weeding out people who do have talent and drive, but don't have access hmm. to the money to, to get that kind of equipment. So I think the opposite is probably now, by not being able to weed out people, we're gonna discover more talent that before right. never would have known because they didn't have the money to get studio time or studio gear. Right. So. And the idea is that either way, the cream rises to the top. So even though there's a totally. you know, hundred times more people doing it now, like you said, ideally, yeah, the cream will rise to the top. Right. Yeah. Um, Oh, cool. Everybody's so, talented. Just as, <laughs> you have to cultivate it young. Mm-hmm. So we're we're still we're bridging on your your business here, but still in childhood. Um, let's go back to high school for a second. How yeah, was your high school experience? <laughs> did you did you like? I mean, you're pretty. Yeah, I'd say you're I, a pretty popular person in your adulthood. Was that the case when you were in high school too? Um, Do you have a lot of friends? Kind of. Yes and no. I think I was liked and disliked. Like so, I wasn't a jock. Right. So the high, the the really popular kids in my high school, like the type A popular kids, were like the football players and all that. Um, right. I was a musician, which isn't the same. There right. was like some girls that were into that, and some mostly younger girls. You know what I mean? Like I had the sophomore girlfriend when I was a senior, <laughs> that kind of thing. Girls in my class didn't really check for me. Were you well? One like now, if you're doing that. You can at least like be like, go check out my SoundCloud. You can hear right. what I've done. Back then, you couldn't really do that unless you were performing live, I suppose. Or and I performed came in talent your- shows. So I was the school like, uh, I forget the name of it, not the mascot, but the uh, spirit leader or okay, whatever. So right. like, I would come out during 
the rallies. I'd always write a different rap about the football team and like perform it, and it'd be customized like about each guy so that they'd get their little. That's, oh, that's, that's cool. I'm great. the rap. Yeah, and um, you know, there was like I said, younger girls at the school and younger kids at school looked up to me, but the kids in my class, I just think, kind of always thought I was like probably a poser like trying to be black or like back then it wasn't oh. the same now or like back then there wasn't a lot of white people doing rap music it was like you know pre eminem right so it was like vanilla ice was the last thing that right. made everybody kind of be like okay that's whack right and so i think you know here's me the other kids in the school are wearing whatever is popular for jocks but i'm wearing like cross colors and you know right. like different color shoes keeping the tag on my hat like they're like, yeah, Koo thinks he's black and he's a dork. So but I was, I was the same way. And um, no, I mean, that's what is so hard for for a lot of kids now or twenty somethings now to realize is like you had to take a risk as a white guy to like rap in right. the kind of early mid nineties. Totally. I mean, you were ostracized. And look, I'm not. We're not here as white men like complaining about our nope. social condition, but it just it just happened. I mean, you're ostracized by by white people and black people. Yep. Um. And I was um, plenty ridiculed, but it didn't stray me. So right. I stayed the course. And like I said, I think I might have been popular to the younger kids at the school, but the kids in my grade who knew me all along and probably saw the transformation mm -hmm. when I got into hip hop were probably like, oh, Coot's on a trippy, right. whatever. He thinks he's this or that. And, but I just stayed the course, you know, and by the time I got to college, it literally was like within a year or two, it became very cool that what I was doing right. and nobody in Chico was making fun of my abilities right. and then band. And, well, I mean, we'll get to that. But yeah, so high school was interesting. You know, I had an interesting time in high school. Socially. You uh, you mentioned Dr. Dre being an influence. So I'm assuming like the Chronic and Dog Cell came out like in right, high right school for you. Yeah, I was yeah. Uh, probably senior or and then junior. You have you know obviously I guess N.W.A. was like your junior high. Yeah, yeah. Too short, Big too live crew. Big time, all that. Right. Yep. Exactly. Those those, those really do seem at least for us Californians like just that group alone. I mean, there was a lot of people, but that seemed to be kind of the driving force for oh, yeah. so many kids that, that that small group of artists. I got to do a podcast like this actually with Too Short a few uh, weeks ago. Look at this guy. And I realized, and never realized this before I was talking to him about it, that I must have got my name from him. Like, why would I just call myself Coot Dog? He was Short Dog, that was his name. And this is, <laughs> this is, this is before Snoop Dog, yeah. which would be the more obvious like Coot Dog, Snoop Dog. But I was before Snoop Dog, I must have been modeling Short Dog. Like Which there also, wasn't no other. one ever mentions that Snoop probably modeled his name after Too oh, Short. No, well, Too Short mentioned it. He, <laughs> said, he said, any rapper with the name Dog got it from me because there wow. wasn't another something Dog before me. Now, Fife Dog Tribe, is that after? Is that yeah, around that's the after. same time? Okay, okay. But who knows? But yeah, so Too Short was definitely a huge influence on me in a positive and negative way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, like, you know, I told Too Short, I was like, you know, I was part of the anti-censorship movement. I thought it's BS, and I defended the whole notion that, like, you know, rap doesn't influence kids. But I told Too Short, I said, but on the real, it totally does. Mm -hmm. It did. Like, I'm sure a lot of the things I did in my life, both relationship-wise mm -hmm. and smoking weed-wise and all this stuff, was a direct influence from listening to your music. And like, So, <laughs> look, life is complex. There are a million angles to everything. I so agree with you. I think the great things about us being exposed to hip-hop culture at our age and as, as white men, I know you're, you're Filipino as well, but is that it opened us up to African-American culture, the right. um, the the shittiness of the social condition, all that stuff. I think for the most part, if you listen to rap at a young age, you're pretty um, 
uh, there's like a heightened intelligence about social conditions in America, right? Whether it's in like modern cities or history, whatever. Absolutely. Um, so that's the great part of it, and you know, hopefully, ideally, it made you more of an anti-racist, have more 100%. diverse friend groups, all that. That was actually my first mission as a rapper was to be like, you know, the the white person fighting for my black brothers and sisters. Right. So I always thought in the beginning, like if I can be a voice in my all white school or mostly white school to like raise some awareness. So like right. the whole, like let it go. One of the first songs I ever wrote, you know, I coined like coot Caucasian opposing oppression today. That was oh. like supposed to be my moniker and the rap that I performed there. And I mean, I can do a little verse of it now if you want, but of course. Okay. So, Let's talk about oppression. I'm guessing, like Stevie, I wonder. Cause I was taught not to love another brother for his color. Or hater, race that's making me hate this. Country that I live in cause it sure don't be the greatest. Forever, let's come together and make it better. Cause I quicker give my life for something right than rather letter. Racist, close-minded, apartheid, or another David Duke talking high and mighty stupid motherfucker. I've seen many things that make my head get dizzy. Only thing that make me happy is all people getting busy. No derogatory, like a South African story. Let's rise up and fight like Denzel back in glory punch out the dumb shit quick with the one two red black white brown or yellow y'all i love you let's stand together like martin luther king and everybody in the place won't you help to sing so that's that, great i can see the the 90s influence all the all the yeah. references in there right? yeah. denzel the and, flow is very like and the flow is very 90s even almost like new york early new york totally which is a big oh. influence but so that, that was, was a rap i performed in talent shows in high school that, that awesome. actually won me a full scholarship to Chico from Coretta Scott King, Martin Luther King's uh, widow. So that's super dope. I came to wow. Chico on money earned from that piece of art. So, okay, goddamn, you're an interesting guy. Uh, so uh, I think, and these these podcasts go by so quick, by the way. So sure. we've got to kind of move along know, a little faster than I want to. Please, yeah. Um, uh, what what I am curious about, and what's curious about with Marty too, and I apologize, I might be comparing you to a little bit. That's okay. Kind of same, Marty same, James same era. for our listeners, right. not not my stepdad. Episode two, right, right. <laughs> um, is was what was it like getting on stage for the first time? Was that were you just naturally not a nervous guy? Did you did you? Yeah. So I don't love think. It? Okay. So I always performed. Always. I was the kid. Big big family gatherings. Me and my cousins would go make a, a skit, a talent show, or something, and then perform for the adults. So I always had that experience. And then the first show show I remember, besides like plays, I've always been in theater and stuff. But the first show show is when Belle Biv DeVoe, New Edition was the big influence. Junior High. Yeah. Um ABC. ABC, that whole thing. BBD. Me and, and four Boys kids did like a like a ABC thing. We did the song Playground mm -hmm. at a school talent show in the eighth grade. And we came out, we did the whole thing, the dance moves, the whole thing. And as soon as the song ended, I heard the sound of all the girls screaming and, and like, you know, girls, like not women, but like, you know, <laughs> 14, 13 year old girls make that right. sound, you know, that, that, that pandemonium. You're telling me that enticed you to keep doing this? Dude, I heard that sound. <laughs> ah, and I was like, hook, that was the drug. There hasn't been a drug since then. I'm like, right. this feels amazing. Yeah. So at that point, I don't, I barely ever had any stage fright. There's been a couple of things to take exception to that, but for the most part after that, I was like, this is totally what I want to do. So it perform. feels like that's the common thread is that when you get up there initially, kind of you're new at this and you get a good reaction soon. Exactly. And it's just, you're off. Exactly. I mean, there's if no you struggle back. with a couple dead shows or haters. You or, could quit right away. Yeah, you'd be like, this, you'd is, be terrified. this is too much. Right. This is hurts. But yeah, I didn't have that. I just had encouragement early. So 
I just went for it when it came to Chico. Like, yeah, and again, that was the goal is to continue pushing this kind of sociopolitical. But of course, at the time, we're listening to like Public Enemy, mm-hmm. you know, so there was more of that movement. The so kind of raps Tupac, I was doing, the, one of the most even early rappers of all time. Yeah, big yeah. time. Early Tupac, I'm a huge fan of like, um, you know, the Me Against the World and, and before, Tupacalypse Now, right. Strictly For My. Mm-hmm. Those albums were like, not that I don't like later Tupac, but that was all super motivating me to be like, Ice I want to be NWA. The, the white rapper who's not like Vanilla Ice talking about partying right. and stuff, but like talking about bringing culture together. Right. And, um, you know, the landscape changed for hip hop. That didn't have its place anymore after a while. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and there, I mean, look, there was, we're talking about risking just even being into hip hop culture as, as, as a white kid back then. I mean, you were taking some pretty big risks too at, at yeah. Maybe, you know, there's a, a risk of it being corny, you know, just yeah. being like a white guy kind of promoting these causes. Like, yeah. did you, okay, last question on this. Was there any significant backlash from peers that you remember? Well, black or white? Peers? No. Or I anyone, mean, anyone, anyone. No. So, yeah. So black people tended to welcome me in more than white people at the time. So hmm. when I came to Chico, I didn't hang out with very many white people. I actually almost pledged a black fraternity. As hmm. the only white person, and I wow. knew I was going to be super hazed. I knew that was going to probably like have it worse than anybody. <laughs> the greatest hazing of all time. But um, but respect out to the uh, Alpha Phi Alphas, the original A Phi's. Those were my dudes. Like um, we hung out every day on campus. And the only reason I didn't end up pledging the fraternity was because uh, Mr. Groots took off, and the rules about what I could and couldn't do during pledging wasn't going to line up like no social events and you can't do this mm-hmm. and that i'm like i'm in a band now the band became my fraternity so great segue well i was just going to say that yeah. like it was weird that the, the 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 mixed ethnic groups that i hung out with definitely liked that i was like trying to forward the cause and it was like unfortunately i was getting more ridiculed just by like the white guys i grew up with and without that support though i mean there's you need that as kind of a launching pad, you know, yeah, it's, it's, I felt it's, it's like everything. I'm here to fight the good fight. So. Uh, we're going to move into the sweet and sour wall where we talk about your business. And you mentioned Mystic Roots, which is a perfect segue. Yes, sir. We are going to be drinking Berry Breezy from Bear Bottle Brewing. It's a Dr. Seuss drink. Okay. Alliteration. Just kidding. Uh, let's get after it. Like the color. That's nice. I'm not a huge fan of sours, but I like this one. Sours are one of those things that I think after you drink a lot of beer, drink a lot of IPAs, suddenly it becomes nice to take a little break. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know me. I'm huge on the kombuchas, and, and I recently tried a mental trick on myself when I took a, some sour and just thought of kombucha, and I'm like, oh, this is fine. Very similar. Yeah, yeah as long as you like wrap Something. your head around it. But like to go from beer to that, it's like, whoa, this is yeah. so sour. Um, it's good. I mean, I'm going to finish it. Delish. Yeah, Me too. Good. One more. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the very beginnings of Mystic Roots. When did that even sure. pop up as a possibility, an idea, concept? Okay, so taking it back from chapter one, I'm at Chico State intending to be the next global phenomenon. Basically Eminem. <laughs> like Eminem was, what he pulled off was what I wanted to do and realized that I couldn't, realize after the fact I couldn't have ever done that because back then especially you needed a hardcore backstory notice you don't anymore I don't think anybody cares if G-Eazy came from a privileged childhood or not nobody cares and now it doesn't matter anymore Jack Harlow none of these guys was it street cred quote unquote but back then you had to have a story if they found out that I was this white kid from Marin County California 
um, trying to rap, there would be no acceptance. So I feel a little bit bummed that I didn't come up during the modern era where that doesn't matter anymore. It's just hmm. about your talent. Right. Because I didn't have that backstory. Um, I, I never really struggled financially. My, my parents aren't rich, but I mean, you know, I always had food on the table. But a narrative, so, a narrative sells. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, too. Like, that's what the public... You know, where we're, we're well, in, even we're if you're in, we're in, in from the hood, you had to have a story like 50, like 50 Cent, right? Had to be shot to get, right. but um, Pop, but that being said, I wanted to be Eminem, I wanted to be like the opposite of Vanilla Ice, I want to be the first white rapper where people were like, actually, that dude's dope, regardless of mm-hmm. his color or his background, he's got fire lyrics. Kind of amazing that that hadn't happened yet by the mid 90s when hip hop yeah. was so had taken off. There, it's crazy that Third it took till 1999 for that to happen, right? Because that's a good, you know full decade of no legitimate white rapper. Third base would be the one exception to that. Yeah, they they were still, dope, but they weren't pop stars. As, as someone living in California that time too, I didn't give a shit about third base. Right. I thought they sucked. Totally. So I'm in the apartment making beats on my keyboards, making raps, just trying my best. Meanwhile, my roommate, who I came to college with from who we grew up together, Shane, him and I have known each other since we were babies, um, he fell into a band with a couple friends he met at school in a theater class a bass player and a guitar player, both of which were frat brothers, the Sigma Nu fraternity, who wanted to start a sublime-ish band, like a reggae band with some punk rocky like elements. So they started this band called Root Awakening, and um, mm-hmm. they were dope. Clever. Yep, they were dope, and um, I loved watching them play. Shane and I used to do music together in high school, but I think he was excited to do something else, like I'm doing my thing, he's doing his, instead of like kind of relying on me all the time. So he kind of was happy to start his own thing, I was doing my thing, but then when I'd come, they would call me up on stage to like be a guest, like just a rapper, like, yo, bring up the homie mm-hmm. Coot to bust a rap. And um, I'd come up and I'd rap during the song Pass the Marijuana. And I did this rap that I actually wrote in high school for a different song called Puff the Magic Buddha. And um, the marriage of those two sounds, the party would just go off. Cause they were a pretty mellow band, but I brought all this hype energy and rap and stuff. So they're like, we should bring up Coot more. And I'm like, bro, I'm down to be in the band if you wanted that. But they're like, well, you know, no, we don't really need like a full-time rapper, but it'd be cool to have a guest here and there. Uh, interesting that, I mean, cause that's a significant shift going from like high school shows, getting a good reaction from like, you know, sophomore girls to yeah. actual now adults or college parties. Right. Like there's no guarantee that that's gonna right. translate. But I had so, been honing my craft by then. Like I was a confident rapper to like, I was ready. Were you, were you, Surprised? Were you pleasantly surprised by the response at that point? Or were you expecting it? Uh, in, in, in an appropriately confident no, way. No, no, I think I was uh, super co- confident and cocky and yeah. like, yeah, of course I'm dope. Like that was gotcha. how I felt at the time. Yeah. I was like, by the time I got to high school, like I had a super, super fine girlfriend. Like my confidence was boosted by the time I got to college. Like I just came in here feeling, I had a great support base of friends back home. I was kind of in a gang, uh, which obviously helped. <laughs> we my, all were. My, um, <laughs> Uh, my ego and my my confidence and stuff. So when I got here, I just was like ready to just tear Chico up. I thought it was gonna be my playground. So that that attitude probably helped. Wow. But um, got on stage, rocked with them a couple times, petitioned to be in the band. They were like, no, we don't need a full-time rapper. I'm like, well, I can also play keys. Well, we already have Shane playing keys. So it is what it is. But then they ended up bringing in this other dude they wanted on guitar. And Shane was like, well, we told Coot we're not bringing any new guys in the band, so if you're gonna bring in Jason, you should bring in Coot. So then I became a band member, which was exciting. And right around that time, right then, when I became a member of the band, they wanted to change the name because Root Awakening requires you to say it weird, like I'm doing right now. Yeah. Because if you say Root Awakening, people will be like, oh, Root Awakening, right. no, Root Awakening. So first of all, that's a bad name for that reason alone. Okay. Second of all, there's already a band called that. So okay. 
we had to come up with a new name, but I had already written all these raps that had the word root rhyming with coot. It was perfect. I'm like, this is dope. Uh, coot yeah. with root awakening. So like, let's just keep the word root, whatever we do. And so the bass player thought of mystic youth. So I'm like, what about you keep roots in it? So I helped name mystic roots. Mm -hmm. Although I'm not a founding member of that band, I did help write the new name, which ever since. It's a good name. Um, so yeah, mystic roots it's really good formed. Name. Our first show as mystic roots was at a packed, thousand person frat party at the Sigma New Fraternity house. Again, because the dudes in the band were part of the Sigma New Fraternity, so it was a given. Let's let Joaquin's band play. So this is instrumental, just like we said earlier about the young girls screaming at the talent show, mm -hmm. is that we didn't ever have to struggle and play some shit shows working our way up. Our first show was yeah. on a stage, a built stage, not in the corner of a barn or whatever. Built stage, outdoor, thousand person frat party, lit, like just rocking. And we're and like we 98? 96. 96, okay. Yeah, and we killed it. So it was just like, you know, immediately we're like, all right, this is, we're gonna, just, we're gonna just keep going with this. So like, we came out the gate swinging and just had to keep the energy. And and then it, within the next year or two, it just became like, oh, you guys going to the Mr. Roots party this weekend? It became right. just known that like, we had the fat parties. Such great timing too, just kind of coincidentally. It's like Chico, mid 90s are like, uh, in hindsight, kind of the tail end of, of the intense Chico party scene. Yeah. And like, I mean, you couldn't have hit it at a more perfect time. No, it was great. Have. It was after Pioneer Days, but, right. you know, it was before, like, DJs weren't as big of a deal anymore. DJs played before the band or between the band. It was about bands. I mean, this is a great era for live music. We had Bean Fight, this punk band. Mother Hips had just kind of blown up and moved out, but there was Sunset Red quickly getting ready to replace them as one of the biggest jam bands. Electric Circus, our friends from that band. I mean, Zizix. There were so many cool, cool bands merging so many. Jorduga. There's these albums they used to put out called Chico City Limits compilations, and they mm -hmm. had all the bands from Chico on one album. And a it play was off a, of a Austin City Limits. Yeah, it was a great time for Chico music. I mean, flush with bands. Juanitas had bands. Duffy's had bands. Duffy's back then was Stormies. I'm sorry, Stormies, okay. which is uh, now, I think, where uh, Banshee is. But anyway, there were so many live music venues. The Brickworks, which is now the Beach, LaSalle's. Yeah. Um, everywhere, there was just live music all the time. It was an incredible time for live music in Chico. In anywhere, there was no, it was like a little Austin. You mentioned Sublime earlier. Were they around then too? Bradley died in 96, right before Mystic Roots started, so. Okay. But they we, they, we filled Void. That's definitely, I think, a huge part of it is that as oh, soon as Sublime was, was done, like now we were the band that was playing the kind of music you could see at a Sublime show. Interesting, So I yeah. feel like they definitely gave us a leg up to become what we were as one of the first. But back then there wasn't any of these revolution or any of these new reggae bands. It was Slightly Stupid, Pepper, and Mystic Roots. And then the Expendables from Santa Cruz. We all come from the same era of music, but they all had much better bases to launch from. Santa Barbara, Santa Cruz, we're like this yeah. little college town Chico. I always said if Mystic Roots would have been in a major market, we would have gone a lot, lot further faster. Or if we came out with MySpace and and social right. media was already a thing, but we were just before that, so we kind of stayed pretty much locally Chico famous. And you know, but, which is fine. But, but the, I mean, the experience you had was was so great and unique in a way too. I mean, it's easy it to always killer. think that you know it's the whole grass is greener thing, or you yeah. Know. But um, yeah, I try not to get into too much of that, right? But um, so it was a great time. It was super fun. We partied every weekend. We had a different show. And what I'm curious about, I guess, is the next step. Was there uh, was there something that happened where it's like. Yeah. Okay, this this is now we've taken a next step. We've Yeah, so I knew we needed to get out of Chico. We weren't gonna blow up from Chico. Mm -hmm. Back then it was before YouTube and before the internet really was a, a tool. You had to be discovered by a city. 
LA, New York. So I, I said, we need to move to LA. We, um, it's hard to motivate a group of kids from NorCal to want to live in LA. There's mm -hmm. a whole thing there, you know, Nor NorCal, SoCal. Mm -hmm. um, but everyone was down for San Diego. They were like, San Diego's pretty dope to move there. I'm like, all right, that doesn't, that doesn't really have an explosive music scene, but we can get to LA quicker from there. Right. So I moved the whole band down to, to uh, Oceanside in like 2001. And that was really cool that we actually had the support of five different people to get up, six even, and just relocate, get a band house. We didn't live together in Chico. We all like just came together, quit everything, went down to San Diego to try to blow up. But that had its obstacles because we didn't have our city behind us anymore. It's one thing to be like from Chico, California, mm -hmm. in Chico, California. It's another thing to be in San Diego, like from Chico, California, it's yeah. Mr. Roots, but like that's not Chico, so they don't care. Right. So that's that was hard because we didn't have the a community to support us like we did in Chico. We'd come back to Chico for the fat shows, but down there we were just a small fish, big pond. It was a big flip flop. So we're there. And by then there was a bunch of new bands coming up, Revolution, Iration, who are from down there. So So what what were those next couple of years like? Did it did it just did it not go exactly how you wanted it nope, to? It didn't go exactly how we wanted. We tried. Yeah. We got a few little things. Um, we got on a reality show. That was exciting. Which show was that? It was called That Ying Yang Thing. But the show wasn't about the band. The show was about interpersonal dynamic struggling. Are you part of a group of people who can't seem to get along to make it work? Oh, God. The whole thing was like yeah. drama. It wasn't about music. So right. no one's like trying to sign you off that show. <laughs> right. So that didn't work. Um, but then I answered a Craigslist ad and got a job at a record label that happened to be the record label distributing for Sublime, Pepper, Slightly Stupid, Living Legends, Grouch and Eli, all, okay. the, all these perfect acts for us. So I just tried really hard to get assigned to that label. And I didn't at first, but after being an intern there for a year or two and then working there for a couple of years, finally they took my band seriously enough to give us a deal. What was the name of the record label again? Cornerstone Ross. Cornerstone, Cornerstone Ross. Recording Arts Society. And then what year is this? 02, uh, 03? No, probably 04, 05. Okay. okay. Yeah. And through that, I met the guys from Silverback Records who are still doing big things in the industry. But then the Pato gig is when everything took off. When... I met Pato Bonton here in Chico when he played at the fair, right there. Mm -hmm. He always calls someone up on stage to perform his song, I Do Not Sniff the Coke. He always brings <laughs> someone up on stage to sing the song along with him. Uh, it's this big famous song and everybody knows all the words, his big fans know all the words. Mm -hmm. And when he was saying, someone wanna come up here and rap with me, I was like, me, 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 me. And I got up there and he was like, all right, so you know the words to the song and I'm like, no, but I do rap <laughs> and I'll kill it right now. I'm going to turn this wait, place wait, out. Wait, 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 wait. He called you yeah, up he calls or up because you're affiliated? No, no, with he always calls a fan up to sing with him. Like who wants to come up here and sing this song? But you're signed to a label as this. No, no, I'm rewinding. Okay. That's how I met Pato Bonta. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So I got up on stage with him and asked, can I just do my own rap? And he was like, okay, I guess. And I, and I did Chico, California, a smoke out and everyone knew it, you know? So I like completely upstaged wow. him for a second <laughs> and he was like what the, what was that you're supposed to be here doing my song so i talked to him after we exchanged numbers and he's like you're very talented just keep it up keep what you got going so i circled back years later and met pato down there um in anaheim at the house of blues and just asked him what's up what's what's been new where's your band this isn't your band he was there with a band called dubcat members of sublime and whatever mm -hmm. and um he's like i don't have my band anymore i'm looking for a new band and i'm like I have a band, Mystic Roots. We'd love to be your backing band. So he gave us an audition. We smashed it. We made sure we nailed every part. We had two horns back then. Is this like in like a full. garage somewhere or something? Uh, it was at my, uh, my drummer's recording studio slash garage, yeah. Mm -hmm. But Pato slid through, audition. We nailed every song tight, harmonies, everything tight. And he signed us to be his backing touring band with like the agreement that Mystic Roots could open each show 
you know, and it would be co-build Pato Bantan and the Mystic Roots. He was the biggest artist at the time. He's selling out every venue. So we got this huge opportunity to finally go on real tours, not just bars like LaSalle's, but like House of Blueses and the Fillmore and Warfield. And like, so we went on a big US tour, the first one, and then we went to Canada, then we went to Mexico and went to Hawaii. For like three years, we were Pato's backing band and opened all the doors. And at that point, we started being able to get our own big time bookings and festivals. And that's when we decided to leave San Diego and come home. Because at that point we were like, there's no need to be here anymore. YouTube's out now and by this time it's easy to distribute music however, record it from wherever. So it was like 08? 2010 is when we moved home. Okay. Yeah, but it was the years of Pato was 06 to 09. And after we split off from Pato in 09 to do our own thing, we're like, let's come back to Chico. Let's come back to our home base and try doing it again from here. Now, you know, I, I don't really like to, I think like power dynamics in a band for however kind of dramatic they can be is also still a little like kind of over yeah. thought. But that said, you brought this opportunity in pretty much entirely by yourself, right? Yes. Did that create any any problems with other people? Like since you, you know, you originally kind of somebody that came on to... With the band? Yeah. With my bandmates? Yeah, yeah. Or was it just no. all like, well, this is awesome? A couple. For one is, once we had the opportunity to actually go on tour full-time with Pato, it weeded out a couple people in the band that couldn't do that. Oh. Um, they're like, I can't get off work to go on this tour. It's like, well, that's the point of what we're doing down here. So a couple people in the band, some of which I'm very close with to this day and others which I've you know lost touch with, we had to replace them because they couldn't do the do the mm -hmm. tour. And it's like, well, if you can't tour, what are you doing in, the, in a band right. at all? It was a good paid gig. Well, it's a real fork in the road where it's like, do I quit my job and become a full-time musician Exactly. Or not? Yeah. But that's why I was down there. Like, I right. was down there for no other reason. <laughs> right. So that caused that. But for the other part, I think everybody in the band was like pretty stoked. From 2010 on, uh -huh. now you're back in Chico. Yep. You are, you're still playing with the band. Yep. And... Are the venues changing? Are you are you going to yep. different states? What's what's happening? We're still touring, but um, between 2010 and 2016, we went on a couple more big tours. Uh, opened up for Tribal Seeds and for Catch Fire. My homies from New Zealand, who I'm actually now their manager or I'm sorry, booking agent here in uh, the United States. Cool. And so a couple really cool opportunities. Meanwhile, trying to make ends meet in between touring, um, DJing a lot. That's something we haven't talked about, but I've been DJing this whole time since high school. I've always been a DJ, it, yeah. and that helps, um, you know, bring in some bread, whereas live music is always more of a struggle. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then the cannabis thing, the whole other side of all this is like I've been growing weed this whole time also through all these years since college. It's a very effective um, second job. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, technically not always, a small business. Yeah, traditional yeah. market, so, you know. We don't mm -hmm. call it the black market. It's the traditional market, right. <laughs> um, which is different now. The so, green market. Yeah. So that's changed into the green market. We got licensed and became a licensed delivery in Chico. And even up till today, we're trying to become a licensed shop open in Chico. Right. So all those things were help paying the bills. But yeah, my Mystic Roots, DJing and the cannabis. And then there was kids. <laughs> so when kids came in 2016, the Mystic Roots touring definitely dropped because okay. that's hard with the toddler and stuff. So you can just jump in a van and crash on the van bench. But you guys didn't break up. Nope. We just played a lot less. Yeah. So everybody in the band had to have other gigs and other jobs. And I just have to hope that we could pull them together when we needed them. But when the budget's there, you can almost find anybody. Yeah. That's the thing. Money talks. So it's like if we get a good tour, I'll just go down the list and be like, find a guitar player. Can you do it? Can you do it? Right. Okay, you can do it. And put, put a team together. Um. Just a quick uh, question for me. Uh, Reese is a good friend of mine. I yep. I kind of started getting into recording 
Reese was one of our guitar players. When uh, when uh, I started working with him back in 08. Yeah, so he was he played guitar for you when he was like 17? Yeah, he was still in high school. Um, yeah. This is before we moved, I think. So this is 2000, 99. And this is Reese Wilde, to be clear, who uh, our friend Marty just put out an EP of his on his, on his new label, yeah. Mighty Oak. Fantastic guitar player. Super yeah. sick. Yeah, he is one of the best. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I'm really honored that we got to work together those years. And he was the youngest guy in the band when he was, but yeah. <laughs> Cute girlfriend. Did you haze him? <laughs> Didn't have to. He okay. had the most beautiful girlfriend. He should have been hazing us. Like, How does this young kid have the hottest chick in the band? So one thing I want to talk about, you um, you know, you mentioned uh, you know, weed. I think that's probably gonna be on our third wall here where we talk about the future, because that's really yeah. on the horizon, right? Um What about radio? When did when did radio start? You haven't mentioned that yet. Yeah, so well, I meant DJing radio. So oh, I'm, you're, I'm see when I hear DJ, I'm thinking like you're DJing at bars. No, or both, something. both. So right. um, I was on high school radio, and then when I got to college, uh, I was heavily involved in KCSC freshman year. I signed up to have a class. I'm sorry to have a show. I had a reggae show from like seven to ten, whatever this day, and then a hip hop show. So I was able to do both the things I love, reggae and hip hop, for like a year at KCSC student radio until I became the music director, and then I was in charge of those formats for the next five years even after i graduated chico state i still worked at the radio station there all the way till i moved to san diego then there was a big break from radio i didn't do radio in san diego so from 2001 to 2013 i wasn't on the radio did you did you not want to be or were you trying to get no some radio i just gigs uh, i don't know there was no i didn't see how that would have happened down there i didn't gotcha. even think about trying gotcha i was busy working on the band but when i got back to chico and i finally got resettled i'm listening to my girl jigga julie on the radio every day and i'm like I should see what's up. Like maybe I can get a job down there. And I called her. I'm like, can you set me up? She turned me on to this guy, Brian Fox. He brought me in for an interview. Turned out that this general manager also was a KCSC alumni from Chico state. So we had like that kinship fraternal bond there. He's like, Oh, I love KCSC folks. we got to get you on the air right away. I'm like, well, I want to be on power. We don't have an opening, but you can be on Z rock. And I'm not like the rock guy really. Right. So that was just my intro to it. And eventually I got over to power. But I never stopped doing Xerox, and now I'm on both here in town, which is a lot. What's your um? How, how do you? What space are you in now with that? Are you? I enjoy are you radio. Having, it's having not fun? A, a, a financial lucrative right. business for me because it's it's very uh, they yeah. <laughs> right. I'm doing. I'm not doing it for the money because <laughs> right. there isn't any. But uh, um. But I really enjoy being a part of the community. I I like that you know I can have a voice to speak to the people of Chico, even though it's not a talk show like this. It's very brief things I say on the air that's mostly just scripted. Uh, but I can put my own twist on it every now and again and add a little flavor. Me and Julie are working on like a food blog podcast type. Well, not podcast on the radio, like a food review thing that mm -hmm. we're going to start maybe doing on Fridays, talking about different restaurants in Chico. So that's fun. It's good to be involved yeah. with the community and. Well, that's that's one of the reasons why I love that you're here doing this. I mean, it's such a natural thing for you to to be involved with the podcast. Oh yeah, as a guest or a host potentially. Absolutely, um, happy to do both. But yeah, so radio's fun. Um, and the okay. kids like that too. That's cool. Is to go from being recognized as the dude from Mr. Groots yeah. for years to now people are like, are you Coo Dog? And I'm immediately thinking they're talking about Mr. Groots. And I go, yeah. And they go, oh, we listen to you on power. I'm like, oh, that's cool. It is. Yeah. That's different. You mentioned uh, one thing I've really learned working here, which I've been here for two years now at the Commons, um, is this concept. And I mean, frankly, I kind of knew this when I was substitute teaching and stuff. There's this concept of social equity that is far different than 
the, the money that you're making, right? Right. And it sounds like that's what radio is for you a bit. Definitely. And these things are, they're so valuable to me to have these kind of, you know, conversation pieces that connect you to people that, that, that other people are interested in. I mean, that's really, to me, kind of the, the real value in life, not like the money that you're making. Right. Um, do you kind of consciously, or do you think that kind of same thing? Like 1, you want to have like your social percent. equity over 1, here? 1,000%. Yeah. Because like I had a tough time with the radio a couple of years ago. We had a station manager who's not there with us anymore, but he was a piece of shit. This, this, this dude sucked so bad. Almost had the first spit take he, on the podcast. He, he made me, I've timed that. He, he, <laughs> he made me um, feel so bad all the time because he, he's not from Chico and he immediately resented me and said I was Chico famous as an insult. But I'm like, cool, I'm going to turn that into a hashtag I gotta say, and get a t-shirt. If I'm even slightly Chico famous now after working for here, I got to say it's amazing. Yeah, I'm like, Chico <laughs> famous is not an insult. You're an asshole. But anyway, right. he sassed me all the time. If I talked about myself on the radio at all, I got in trouble. Like basically, I think one time I was like, yeah, coming up, this new Motley Crue track. Um, shouts out Tommy Lee or I forget, I think Nikki Six. I don't remember which one of those guys has my birthday. And I'm like, yo, we share a birthday, which is pretty cool. So boom, boom, boom. He calls me in the office the next day like, why would you say that? Nobody cares when your birthday is. Stop oh making this God. about you. I'm like, I'm not making it about me. I'm just trying to relate to the... And so anyway, long story short, that guy sucked super bad. And I hated every day going in there. And I, I don't have thick enough skin to deal with that kind of environment. So I was literally affected by it, like mm -hmm. depressed and like anxious. Mm -hmm. And Kat would tell me like, why the hell do you still work there? They don't pay you any money. It seems really inconvenient. And I'm like, because of the social equity, like you're saying, because this job leads to other things. And so far it has from DJ gigs at casinos, bars, weddings, birthday parties, any kinds of things that happen because they heard me on the radio. So even though the radio isn't necessarily a lucrative gig, it brings some social equity that can lead to things that are financially mm -hmm. lucrative. And as well as it keeps me in touch with the community in a way, it keeps me in touch with the latest music. If I wasn't, you know, at my age, most guys I know don't check for anything new. In fact, they ridicule anything new and say, mm -hmm. you know, my, in my day, music was good, you know, the, the trap. Yeah. But thankfully being in the radio, I can't fall into that trap because I have to right. see why is this new, you know, uh, Travis Scott hot or why is any of this stuff hot? And, and, and actually feel it, not just... Right. pretend I feel it but feel it like get in and be like yeah this shit is hot and I don't think I would do that if I wasn't still in the clubs yeah. still on the air I'd still be just listening to Eminem and Dre and being like this is good music you think so so and I mean I guess it's like you working for radio I, I get what you just said to me kind of describes you staying connected to a younger crowd yeah, right irrelevant younger people newer generations obviously teaching um, at high schools and now these kids are all kind of 21 and stuff and I can kind of hang out with them you, more. Yeah. Same exact thing. I never thought that, that said, I thought that I'd always be attuned to what's new. Like, I don't think I ever would have fallen into the, oh, I only listen to 90s rap. Yeah. Um, but you think that... But you're out here though. You're at the commons, you know? Like, yeah. if, if you're not out here, <laughs> I don't know why you'd be listening to the newest hip hop. Probably wouldn't. Yeah. Maybe. Right, but right. But you never know. We are on uh, our third beer, the Hop Forward Wall. What do we got? Urban Roots Brewing, a picture of Nectarone. Okay. I don't know the Cheers. reference. Picture of Nectarone. That's, that's good. I like this one. I assume it has a little bit of a nectarine. Yeah, yeah. A little orange in there. Somewhat, yeah. You know, it warmed up a little bit because it's been sitting here for an hour. But <laughs> and that one's probably better cold. <laughs> exactly. Maybe we should do this the, the other way around. We should talk about we the future first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> While we're on music, 
how are you looking at music now? I mean, I think we're all kind of at, you know, the midpoint in our lives here. Things are kind of changing now moving forward. Or are they? I mean, what is what is music to you now as as a as a DJ, as a performer, as a producer? Well, I would love to start working more on like some production and remixes and stuff. That's why I said earlier I was trying to study from some of these younger cats, find out where the new sounds are coming from, the new plugins and all this. It's a very different landscape than from when I was just with the MPC and finding samples from everywhere. Now everything's available to you with these sound banks and stuff. So I really like remixes, you know, um, that could lead to me producing more original stuff. But for now, the Mystic Root stuff, um, we like to write, we'll get producers to give us music and we'll write to it. So I'm still always on the hunt for that. Mystic Roots is definitely not um, done, probably never will be done. As long as I'm alive, we'll be the old band still putting out music when we can. That's the beauty of reggae. You, you've been doing some really great shows recently, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we just played with Sublime and the Dirty Heads, and that's a great show. And um, we that's, were supposed to... That's a little to, bit of a full full circle show now that we, it well, is, that's what right? we mentioned yeah. earlier. Yeah. It's really cool. And the Dirty Heads go back too. I remember playing early shows with them back in the late 90s at little clubs in Long wow. Beach. But anyway... Um, yeah, we're still going to continue to do shows, just probably not going to do like a long tour grind unless we somehow came up on some loot and we're able to get like a dope tour bus to live in or something. But we're not going to go back to living in the van with my kids and stuff now. We need to be a little more comfortable and get decent night's sleep. I mean, do you consider it a part-time job, essentially? Mystic Roots? Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a passion. Right. You know, uh, I don't even call it a job at all. It's a passion. Okay. I, right. I donate all the money right back into it. Like, right. Take the money we make from the gig and like, put it into some promotions of the next gig or, or, or whatnot. So yeah, I'd say we're trying to stay busy with like one to two shows a month in the off season. And by that, I mean everything but the summer. And when the summer hits, my goal would be to get us like a real good festival booking circuit, play like a ton of festivals because those are not too challenging for the band. They're not like we're up till two in the morning. We'll probably play in the day or the early evening because we're not like massive headliner status. And then enjoy the festival with the family, have my kids be there. Like, that's my kind of gig these days. Concerts in the plaza, like we do here in Chico, mm -hmm. those are everywhere. So, like, to do more of those. Ashland concert in the plaza, Sacramento concert in the park, stuff like that. So, you don't... More, than, mean, more than bars It doesn't point. sound like you see this slowing down. It almost sounds no. like the opposite to no, me. No, I'm it ready to ramp like back you're up a little right more... Now that the kids are older, yeah. In, you're a little smarter about what you're doing. Not that you weren't yeah. smart earlier, but um, to me, just kind of from the outside... I feel like you're kind of locked in um, yeah. in terms of a right kind of plan moving forward and how you're spending your time. Well, for us, basically. with kids, it just makes more sense now. Like, right. I recommend every young band get out there and do the grind, play the bars that go till two in the morning, the <laughs> shitty bars, get yourself a name, get yourself some touring history to be able to say you played all these cities, even if they were shit bars. But that's in our rear view now. Now it makes more sense to just take smart gigs that are community, family, because we got our own kids too. Yeah, so that's the goal. Would you be surprised if you have more success in this next decade, in this decade, than you ever have? No, not surprised. I want to do more of the armed forces touring too. We didn't talk about that, but some of the work we've done has been traveling around the world, playing for the military, and that's wow. brought so much travel. And we feel like we're literally doing something meaningful because you're going out perform for these military soldiers yeah. stuck on these bases. Yeah. It makes it feel like we're really giving something back and like donating our time for a, a greater good. So I want to do more of that. Um, those are the kind of shows we want to do with Mystic Roots. So nope, not going nowhere. Just gonna be strategic about nice. what we play. I was in the army, so I, I know what it's like. I mean, it's just the isolation in the military is so intense and impossible to understand unless you've basically been in prison for the military. Right. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, you could, you, I'm sure you can feel that when you're playing in front of those guys. Just the the gratitude and the kind of excitement to see any live music at all or any comedy right. or, or whatever it is. Um, 100%. So that's exciting. That's exciting. I'm excited for you musically. Me too. Uh, moving forward. Um, marijuana. Yes. Okay. Cannabis. Cannabis. Sorry. That's okay. So the only reason I correct you is because marijuana is a racist word, which is weird. Oh. It's just weird to have learned that. But basically in an attempt to demonize mm. and to make it seem like something that they want to keep their white children away from. Right. They assigned it this attribute of a Mexican word wow. when it doesn't come from Mexico. I mean, we do know there's weed in Mexico. It's not what we want to smoke. Not to mention that Mex weed has always been the That's what I said. It's not weed. the weed you want to smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, marijuana, uh, marijuana was definitely like part of Reefer Madness campaign of like, cannabis has been what it was called before that. Wow. It's not a new term. They just decided to demonize it, but it's like calling it Reefer or something like negative. So I try not to use that term. Maybe. And then back to like plantation days, I mean, the cannabis was demonized because it was competing with cotton, correct? Or exactly. other kind of slave-owned kind of textiles. industries, textiles. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there is definitely a, a good reason to try to uh, use the word cannabis. Right. <laughs> now. Um, so it was legalized in California in 2018? 16? 16. 16? Okay. That's crazy. Yet. Six years later. And brick and mortars. <laughs> will you kind of to explain that the state of the the brick and mortar here in i guess sure. butte county i guess is it or it's the city city by city, city. okay so in 2016 when they passed proposition 215 no 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 prop 64 they made it so that now cannabis is legal in california that seems like good news but with the stipulation that it's up to each city to decide how legal right which is kind of messed up because instead of having a blanket policy now you can get your conservative cities like chico which i didn't a lot of people don't think of this as a conservative town, but it sure is. I mean, it's like 55-45. It's not like, it's not Redding. No, but I mean, it's definitely, you know, because of the farms and because of like the right. old Chico. Right. Without the university, this would just be a conservative It'd town. It'd be like Redding, right. Um, or Red Bull. But, um, but because of that, I've never understood why conservative equals anti-cannabis because it shouldn't. if anything, conservatives want less regulation. They want freedom well, and all that stuff. So anyway, longer story, but they, 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 they do in certain ways and then they don't in other ways. All I can think of is, is the idea of church and state separation. So basically if, if you have something that's been illegal, then the church is against it because abide by thy laws or whatever. Um, but <laughs> is that in the Bible? Abide by the I don't know. I'm, I'm just assuming because it doesn't make much sense. Why? Well, let's not get into the weeds hey. of that. But really, okay, so where we're at. Chico decides shortly after 2016, I think 2017, they decide, okay, uh, it's up to us. What's legal? Nothing. So they say that they're not going to regulate anything, um, uh, which means we have nothing. So now we've taken a step backwards where before we had medical, now we have nothing. Then slowly in 2018, 19, they start saying, all right, well, we're going we're gonna to abide by the will of the voters. We're going to create some licenses. We just got to take our time with it. And by take our time with it, we drew on out this campaign, two years of meetings to figure out how many dispensaries they're going to allow, what they're going to allow. And they've decided to let there be three dispensaries in Chico and nothing else. No delivery services, no distribution, no manufacturing, oh, no so grows, all the delivery services are going to go? Else. Nothing Ooh, else. Brutal. So three, there, are, there are a good amount of delivery services right now, no? The ones that are operating in Chico are all operating un unlicensed, unregulated, a.k.a. illegal. Um, I don't know if they'll leave when... Mm -hmm. I, don't, I mean, they should leave now by law, but they're not. So I don't really know mm -hmm. how that all shakes out. I do know that there's three shop licenses are going to give away. And my company, Chico's Best, has applied. We're one of 26 or 25 applicants. 
to get three licenses. And we're in phase 2B right now, finding out um, how our scores did on the applications. And if we did good enough to move on to the next phase, we're going to get interviewed. What does that mean, your scores? The applications are scored by a, a consulting group, scored on a scale of 1 to 200 or 1 to 400 in each section. So you've got like your business plan, your security plan, like it's crazy. It's wow. like taking the SATs. So there's some committee with the Chico City Council that's scoring these things? In order to keep it from looking very poison and corrupt, which is smart, they farmed out that committee to Fresno. It's not a Chico Okay. Which is a good idea, because otherwise there could be a lot of like backdoor favors yeah. and whatnot. But instead it's a committee based in Fresno that is scoring all the applications. Then they'll present the scores to the city of Chico with a recommendation of like, here's your top three scoring. This is who we recommend. We can't tell you who to mm-hmm. award the license to. We could recommend you give them to these three. So at that point, hopefully we got one of the top scores and we will open our shop. If we don't have one of the top scores, that's how it shakes out. Mm. If we have one of the top scores, are recommended, and they still go a different way, then we can talk about some corruption. Like, why didn't we win? We mm. got the top score. So we'll see. It's a lot um, of weird shit. What is the, what's the next step on that? When do you, when's the, what, what are you waiting for next? When the scores come out, for the written half, we move on to the interview half, okay. which is in January. So I imagine those scores will be ready by February, March. It'd be really cool if like 420, 2022, yeah. we know for the winner. Talk about opportunity. I mean, if you land that, I mean, we're talking real, a real career here. Real. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's a legacy, something I can leave to the kids. Exactly. Like, like being one of the first people to own a bar in Chico back in the hoops. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Which, by the way, just <laughs> the ridiculousness of like bars being fine, dozens and dozens of bars being fine in Chico. But There's so three many dispensaries, not even weed bars, just places where you can buy it. Like, oh, yeah. No. Places to buy alcohol are in the, what, hundreds? Right. <laughs> But there'll be three for cannabis. Well, you know, I have a feeling in uh, 40 years, it's, it's, it's going to be we'll pretty. It. Yeah, it'll be nice to be here. on the Pioneer front now, right. so I'm hoping for that. Now, do you already have locations scouted out for if yeah, you when you're on do your this? side of town. We're at 1441 Perfect. Park. Um, Same side of town, south of downtown. So you have, um, you have a, a beautiful wife and two beautiful children. Thank you. You're very generous with sharing them on, on social. It's great yeah, to, it's well, great Lake to is going to be a massive star, much, <laughs> much bigger than I ever was. Just like how I took my dad's legacy and right. I think took it further. Right. I think Lake will probably, if, if given the right opportunities, which I'm trying to give him, could be like the next prince. Can people see some of his music stuff on social now? He, no, he doesn't have a channel. And that's the thing that or I'm lagging your, on. On your Instagram? On me, yeah. And it's public. Yeah. So if you go to DJ Coot Dog on Instagram, okay. I've posted a couple of reels and stuff, but he really, I really need to start cultivating I his highly, whole situation. I highly recommend listeners going to check this out. It is so cool. Yeah. He's four years old. He's already can play keyboard and drums and sing. And I brought him to my DJ gig at the Parkside uh, yesterday for Sunday brunch. And he did a whole... The way you make me feel, Michael Jackson like nailed it, and the whole place like was applauding after. It was crazy. Wait, he was playing or singing? Singing. I had oh the track God. on. I was DJing it, and he just started. He got on the dance floor and he just did the whole thing. Hey, pretty baby. Amazing. It was crazy. Amazing. Uh, can you describe how that makes you feel as dead? Oh, it's like it's crazy. It's kind of like the dream. Your dream job, like like being a parent, is obviously amazing. I mean, maybe that's not obvious, but being a parent is amazing. But then when your kid is exactly like into the stuff that you were hoping he'd be into music and dance and lyrics and music theory and like creativity, it's just like, I just like, super scored the jackpot. Yeah. Like it's, it's great. You know, look, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you hear, 
how difficult it is for you know child actors. I mean, are, are you worried? Is it not worried, but are, are you kind of planning a certain approach with him if he yeah. does want to take this seriously? Like, because the arts are a, yeah, a whole different ballgame. Yeah, trying to keep him game. grounded every day and explain yeah. to him humility and explain to him disappointment. And we teach him a lot of love. So at the end of everything, before anything is love, and we don't push him into music either. That's the other thing. A lot of these kids were pushed into music. Right. We let Lake do music. We punish Lake by taking music away from him. Like that's his favorite thing is to like play piano and all that stuff so i just let him go I, people say it's crazy what you've taught your son i'm like i actually didn't teach him that i just gave him the tools That's i put incredible. a piano in front of him and i'll answer any questions he has about it but i have barely taught him anything and you know this is down the line but in terms of applying pressure you're going to think you're, you're going to be fine the whole way with with not kind of having these certain expect no expectations i, I gotta get living some, vicariously through him all that stuff i have to give him some discipline so there will be some like Sometimes, like he doesn't take lessons because he's self-taught. Like we try to bring in a drum teacher, and he wasn't l listening. And like I try to teach him how to use GarageBand and show him how the metronome works, and he's not not listening. So I am trying to give him a little bit more discipline, because obviously he can't just be his own mm -hmm. boss <laughs> always. Mm -hmm. He's our boss, <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm trying to give him a little bit more discipline and. And, and, and humility to teach him when people say you're, you're so good not to say that's right I'm a rock star which right. he's done a couple of times like no no like yeah. <laughs> you gotta say thank you that's all you have to say thank you well that is a wonderful lesson to uh, end on here uh, these things go quick delicious Coot, thank you so much for coming thank in. you for having me and uh, I, you know I could have given you my real name for this one but next time <laughs> we could talk about you know the jail experience or the huh? different uh women through my life Any, anything that might be more fun <laughs> that'd be a good idea no i would love to have you back you're welcome back anytime cool dog appreciate you all right bless all right we out